Hello, I am Katina Horton, the Love and Freedom Toxic Relationship Recovery Coach. And today's Bible teaching is entitled, Seven Reasons Unclean Spirits Keep Returning to Your Soul. And before I get into the message, I just want to remind you that we always do what? We wear a tie so we can make an impact, right? That means we're always analyzing, we're troubleshooting, we are implementing, we are empowering, and then we're impacting the women in our homes, community, and around the world. And one of the easiest ways you can do that is by doing what? Sharing this message. If anything is that's in this message is of value to you, if you can just hit the like button, if you can share it with a friend, a family member, co-worker, right? Sister or brother in Christ, right? Somebody in your inner circle, et cetera, right? And so without further ado, I want to get right on into the message, right? And that's seven reasons unclean spirits keep returning to your soul. Now, I want you to think about it. There's nothing worse than coming up with some type of infection, right? You get an infection, you go to the doctor's office, they give you an antibiotic. They don't really ask, they ask a few questions, but really not enough, right? To get to the root uh, cause of the problem, right? The root issue. So they load you up on antibiotics. They say, take this particular medicine. Uh, let's just say, for instance, 10 days, right? You're going to take three a day for 10 days and the infection should be cleared up. The next thing you know, you follow the doctor's instructions. You've taken the medicine for 10 days, right? Three times a day. You go back, everything's good, all of the blood work and everything come back normal. But then three weeks later, you end up with this infection again. And the doctor goes through the same routine. And so this has gone on before you know it. This can go on for a year, right? You're frustrated. He's frustrated thinking that perhaps you haven't followed his instructions, right? But then there's a disconnect. And often the disconnect is what? Getting to that root problem, the root cause of the issue, right? And it could be you have uh, low selenium levels that you need that, right? And it's causing your neutrophils to be low, right? And that's causing you to get an infection. It could be that your uh, thyroid levels are off. And so it's making you more susceptible to getting infections in your stomach or elsewhere in your body, right? It could be because of the fact that you have diabetes, right? And so anytime you injure any part of your body as a diabetic, it's going to take longer to heal. And so instead of the doctor deep diving and digging in, like when we dig down into our family's love story garden to see what's really going on, he just says, here, take these antibiotics 10 days, three times a day, everything gonna be good. And so every time you're going back, you keep going back, you keep saying the same thing. I don't know what you're doing. You must not be taking these right because you shouldn't just keep getting these infections like that. You get a three week break and it starts all the way back over again. So it's the same thing when we end up having unclean spirits that keep returning to our souls, right? It's because something somewhere has been left unaddressed. There is a root cause. And it's not just one root cause. Usually there are several root causes, right, for different people because we're all uniquely wired. We've all uh, had different family love story gardens, right? We've all grown up in different neighborhoods, right? We've all had different experiences, different traumas, et cetera. We've all experienced different things. And so what, 
what has happened to one person is not a template for what has happened to each and every individual. Even if women have uh, experienced narcissistic abuse, that person who has the toxic trait of a spirit of narcissism is going to do things a little bit different from the next person, right? We were all uniquely designed and created, right? Even if it all seems like textbook behavior, it's going to be something that's a little bit unique about each and every person's story, right? And so as we talked about before, there are three things that we can do when it comes to our mind, body, soul, and spirit clutter. Option number one is that we can keep it. <laughs> Option number two is that we can give it away. Option number three is that we can throw it away, right? When you keep clutter in your mind, in your body, in your soul and spirit, that means you're doing nothing but what? Internalizing it. Everything somebody says, you internalize it, right? And so what happens is that when we internalize this thing, we create lies about love that was based upon what it is that we've seen and whatever cards we've been dealt in life, right? And so then we also take this internalization and we make it become our friends by doing what? Self-judging, self-criticizing, right? Self-condemnation, self-blame, self-hatred, self-loathing, and self-pity. It becomes a toxic, vicious cycle of beating up on ourselves for every little thing that occurs. You make a mistake and you just start giving yourself all these different labels. See, you stupid and you're a fool and you this and you're that. And you start going all the way down the list, saying things to yourself, right? From that inner critic that was said to you as a child, by your teacher, by your parent, right? By your pastor or some other person you trusted uh, at church, some other leader, right? And it can just go right down the list as far as the number of things that we could say to ourselves and do to ourselves out of this toxic mode, right? And this behavior likely started, like I said, due to the environment of your family's love story garden. And this continues straight on through adulthood. And it's difficult when you have children, they can't make sense of divorce, abuse that they've witnessed, fighting among family members every time you turn around, right? Alcoholism, drug abuse, et cetera. And in order for a child to make sense of any of this, oftentimes what they do is they'll say, okay, this is happening because of me. It's something about me that's making people treat me this way. It's something I'm doing that's making people uh, do what they're doing. So the child begins to what? They internalize it, right? Something's deficient in me, right? And so they think, because the last thing they want to do is to think that their parents are imperfect human beings, right? Children think of their parents as being uh, perfect. So the last thing that they want to do is think of their parents as being flawed, right? And so they have to think in themselves, there's something deficient in me or about the way that I'm doing things that's causing my parents and or environment to be dysfunctional and chaotic like this, right? And so, like I said, the last thing they want to do is to blame their parents whom they love, need, right? And they're depending upon them for their uh, to provide their survival needs, right? To take the blame. And so what happens is it also becomes confusing because if you grew up in a Christian household and you're going to church and they're telling you about the Ten Commandments and about honoring your father and mother, and then you, you know, you're hearing that part and then you're trying to separate that 
from uh, actually being in an abusive household, right? Them abusing you or whatever it is, or witnessing violence and abuse, and then in turn developing addictive behaviors in order to cope with that, right? And also seeing your parents partake in addictive behavior. So trying to reconcile all of that, that's way too much for a child, right? And this sets the child up for doing what? Creating a world where the only thing that feels safe is blaming themselves, judging themselves, criticizing, condemning themselves, right? And so when other people say stuff, then it's like they take it on like, yeah, you're right, right? They take it on all those unclean spirits into their mind, body, soul, and spirit because they figure it's got to be me. It can't be these perfect parents that I have, right? That God has given me. And so things become twisted in a child's mind, right? And so what happens is in order to not have to deal with the imperfection of their parents, which is too much for them to comprehend, children would rather internalize it into themselves, right? So that was option number one. And then we end up with option number two is that we give it away. That's the second option where you give away your undealt with brokenness, your unresolved trauma, et cetera. You just give it away, right? But the problem with giving away clutter from our minds, bodies, souls, and spirit is that it can be intentional and or unintentional. Sometimes we can give away gifts and we don't even realize in those areas, right? When it comes to clutter and we don't even realize it, right? Either way it goes, the end result is the same. You've actually taken the unclean spirits that's inside of you and have given them to somebody else, right? And there's this one uh, therapist, I can't remember his last name. He's a trauma therapist, but his first name is Resma. And he wrote a book that's entitled My Grandmother's Hands. And he says, when we give away our trauma, he calls it blowing it through somebody else, right? So think about it, like you blowing bubbles. Remember how you blow bubbles as a kid? You have that little magic wand and blowing bubbles, right? But trauma is not... <laughs> Trauma, though, trauma, when you think of it in terms of like blowing bubbles or whatever, nobody wants you to take a wand and blow a, a, a bubble of trauma through them, right? No one wants that. But for some reason, we end up doing it, like I said, intentionally and both unintentionally, right? So that means that this person that you blow your trauma through, right, through this wand, they have received gifts that they don't even want, right? And those gifts are what? undealt with brokenness, as we said, unresolved trauma, unhealthy coping mechanisms, and addictions, right? And so when we're blowing our trauma through someone else, we are giving them extra work. Because none of us, to be honest, no one wants to do more work, more self-work and soul work than they need to do. So the last thing that we want to do is to be a channel, so to speak, of delivering our own trauma, right, from our family's love story garden and giving it away to somebody else, right? That's the last thing anybody wants. The third option is that we're throwing it away. And no, we're not God <laughs> throwing things into the sea of forgetfulness when I talk about trauma, right? What we're doing when we're throwing it away, we're owning our stories. And that way, when we're owning our stories, we get the domino effect or byproduct of owning our healing and our feelings, right? And when we own our stories, what that means is that it's a process that means that we are dealing with the reality of what happened. And reality is nothing but the truth, right? We're coming to a resolution about our stories. And then we're eventually reframing that story so we can move forward. Doing this enables us to do what? Throw away the toxic thinking. 
Throw away the corrupt software, right? Delete it. Throw away the scarcity mindset and the slavery-induced operating systems that's stemming from limiting beliefs. So we only got those three options when it comes to unresolved trauma, undealt with brokenness, et cetera, right? We're either doing what? We're either keeping it slash internalizing it. We're blowing it up. We're giving it away, which is the same thing as saying you're blowing your trauma through somebody else. Or number three, we're throwing it away, right? That means we're getting rid of all of that toxicity and reframing the story so we can move forward, right? We're putting a new picture frame on uh, against a refreshed wall when you think about it like that, right? If we're going to take that old picture frame and put it against that newly refreshed wall, the only thing we're doing is doing what? We're remaining in a, uh, I guess I would say, in a pattern and situation of stuckness. We ain't going nowhere. We're standing there waiting for the would have, could have, should have, if only ship to come back and get us at the port. And that ship left whenever that incident happened to you. It left and it's not returning. So it's our opportunity, right, and our responsibility, right, to partner up with the Holy Spirit in working through our own resolved, unresolved trauma, right, owning our stories so we can own our healing, owning our stories so we can own our feelings and not disowning them and giving them away to someone else. And in scripture over in Matthew 12, 43 to 45, it says, when an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through waterless places looking for rest, but doesn't find any. Then it says, hmm, I'll go back to my house that I came from. Returning, it finds the house vacant, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and settle down there. As a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first. That's how it will also be with this evil generation. So the first reason, and we're going to go over two reasons today, two out of the seven. The first reason, right, that unclean spirits keep returning to your soul is that you keep cleaning the outside of the dish. Imagine being asked to wash the dishes. And then you take each and every dish, right, each and every plate and or bowl and or pot, and you just wash the outside of it, then put it in the dish rack to dry, Right? Then somebody else goes and picks up a bowl, puts cereal and milk in there, right? Short time later, they end up getting violently sick. And why is that? Whatever debris and or clutter that they did not see that was left inside of the bowl was never cleaned out, right? And so whenever we have a problem, we tend to pick up the bowl and wash the outside, like the example that I just gave above, right? How do we wash the outside? We enter what I call in uh, my coaching methodology, the 6S control cycle. The state of our minds, bodies, souls, and spirits is out of control. And then the only way we think of in our lives in general, just out of control when you're in that state, right? And so then as a natural default, instead of going inside of our minds, bodies, souls, and spirits, let me take some time out. Let me sit down and have a be still and mo no moment and see what's going on. We quit cop on the hamster wheel, right? We go to the next phase. We go from the state to striving. And when you go into the striving mode, what happens is that you enter this external, right? Cyclical behavior that we're repeating over and over and over again, right? 
And that's when you're in that striving mode. So when you're in striving, what you do is that you hop on the hamster wheel, right? And this hamster wheel is entitled the trauma disconnection lack cycle of addictions, right? And the addictions are actually taking place of doing the work inside of our minds, bodies, souls, and spirits, right? And giving ourselves what it actually, these four areas need. It's taking us the place of that. And as Dr. Henry Cloud called it, he says a lot of times with the addictions, they're a false solution to a need is what they are, right? And so sometimes what happens too is that they go on so long that they actually become a disease. Our body actually needs these particular things that we've set up, right? In our minds, bodies, souls, and spirits to even function. You understand what I'm saying? So instead of us asking ourselves, what do I need to stop? Take that be still and no moment coming from uh, Psalms 46.10 and say, soul, what do you need? Mind, what do you need? Body, what do you need? Spirit, what do you need? We immediately turn to that addictive behavior, right? Which is only a temporary solution, right? A false solution, right? And a number of pain, if that makes sense, right? So first we start off, when we're on the hamster wheel, we start off with what? Because it's a lack cycle of addiction. So we start off with the love and approval addictions, right? And then we become overwhelmed from the grief, the unresolved trauma, the sadness, uh, languishing. It all becomes too much. Then we move over to ladder C of lack. And that's the comfort addictions, right? We start binge watching, binge reading, biting fingernails until they're bleeding, picking body parts, making sure that everything looks and feels good until it's perfect, right? All of this sex and porn and overeating, undereating. We start all of these addictive behaviors, right? Because they're a false solution to giving ourselves what we really uh, need internally. And then finally, the K for the lack cycle is knowledge addictions. We keep learning and learning and learning and learning about the spirit of narcissism, about being an empath, about what it takes to uh, have empathy, about healing, about what the healing journey looks like, about unresolved trauma, about renewing our minds, about what it means to have a transformed life and to live an abundant life. We keep learning and learning and learning and attending small groups and Bible studies and 50 church services a week in person, online, everything. But guess what? We don't do anything with this information. And that becomes an addiction within itself. And 2 Timothy 3 and 1 through 9 says, this know also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
Now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also re resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. So we just keep learning all of this stuff in all those areas that I just mentioned above. Keep storing it like we have data on a hard drive, but never, ex, uh, never accessing this data for implementation and processing and coming up with a plan and a strategy for moving forward. All of these things together give us a false sense of safety, security, comfort, and control, right? And then in Luke 11, uh, it says, and he, as he was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw this, he was amazed that he did not first perform the ritual washing before dinner. But the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you full of greed and evil. Fools, didn't he who made the outside make the inside too? <laughs> but give to charity what is within and then everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees. When somebody say woe, it's like, you gotta be careful. Woe to you Pharisees. You give a 10th of mint, rue, and every kind of herb and you bypass justice and love for God. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. So it's like, okay, you want to do all of this external stuff. You want to do all this cleaning of the outside of the dish. And you got all this mess going on in your heart. You're not even trying to think of what justice means for other people. It's all about you, right? You're not even trying to think about how you're treating people. And your lack of love for humanity is all about you and all about getting all of your needs met, right? They were narcissists. They were self-righteous, cerebral narcissists. He says, woe to you, Pharisees. So he's saying it again. You love the front seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace, right? That's narcissism. Woe to you. You are like unmarked graves. The people who walk over them don't even know it. One of the experts in the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. <laughs> of course, whenever you speak in truth, people are going to get insulted. No matter what it is you say and how it is you say it, you can use the, the best tone in the world as far as your emotional tone. No matter what people say, when uh, when it comes to the truth, somebody's going to get offended, right? And it says, then he said, woe also to you experts in the law. <laughs> say, okay, if you're going to get expended, caution to you too. People need to be careful about being around you. You load people with burdens that are hard to carry. Yet you yourselves don't touch these burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you. He's telling them again. You build monuments to the prophets and your fathers killed them. Therefore, you're witnesses that you approve the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them and you build their monuments, right? So he's letting them know you're doing all of this stuff, all this mess, all this outside cleaning. Like that example I gave of the person who said they washed the dishes and they washed the outside, right? So anytime we just keep washing the outside, just keep doing all this other stuff other than looking at our hearts, we're going to be prone to have unclean spirits entering us like crazy. And like I said, what, like the scripture says, rather, when they're entering and then we've called ourselves cleaning house by cleaning the outside of the dish again, it's just going to be easier for them to come right back in because we're not dealing with what's going on in our heart. We're not asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to us, right? We're not doing any of that. We're just going on and keep doing that external behavior and never 
getting to the root cause of the issue, right? So life becomes a vicious cycle of trauma responses, fighting, flighting, freezing, and fawning, which means what? We end up with a limited worldview. And limited worldview means you've constantly got a tunnel right in front of you. Imagine yourself being on a train that's moving, but you never get outside of a tunnel. So your vision is limited, right? And so when we have, when our whole world is nothing but learned trauma responses, we have what? That limited worldview. We start going, well, all this is like that and all this is like that. And we start doing what? Coming up with all of these implicit and confirmation biases, right? So the next thing that, the next reason rather that you keep having these unclean spirits to return to your soul is lack of boundaries. You know, what we often do as people, because, uh, and especially as Christians, you want to give people the benefit of of the doubt. You want to give people grace, right? We need to give ourselves grace. We want to give people grace. We want people to give us grace. What we don't want to do is cross over the line where we are becoming a doormat or a poison container for other people's problems. And so what we tend to do, we start going, you know, somebody have mentioned like, wow, this is what he or she just did to me. Then we often go, well, you know, they going through, you know, their mama died, their father died, their sister died, their brother died. And all of that should be true. And we should give extra grace to people when they're going through because that grief process could have a lot of unnecessary anger coming out, depression, uh, you know, and, and, and denial and people just not them their best selves, right? Sometimes we can cross the line and go on too far with it because 20, 15, 10, 15, 20 years have passed. And no, that doesn't mean the grief has gone away. So I don't want you to misunderstand me there, but we're still using that excuse. You know, they were abused as a kid. And, you know, sometimes folks just need to get their anger out. But at whose expense, right? Whose expense? Yes, we all want to enter a space of humility when it comes to healing when it comes to growing, when it comes to the knowledge and wisdom that God has given us, we want to come from a place of humility always. Remember, the ones in scripture tells us so so many different times, the only way for us to be exalted, which is done by God, is that we have to be humbled, right? At the same time, once you've done your self-work, the last thing you want to do is be responsible for doing somebody else's self-work. But when you don't set up boundaries and we allow people to just come at us and say any old thing they want to say because they're having a bad day. And then in turn, now we've got that in our minds, bodies, souls and spirits. It's not a good thing. We are setting ourselves up for unclean spirits to return to our soul and bring who knows how many friends with them. Right. And so what happens is that then you feel like you got to start. You feel like you're starting all the way over again. You're not starting all the way over again. But the state of your soul, like that verse said, is worse than it was in the beginning. Because now, whatever junk they gave you, nine times out of 10, it's not just for one person. It's probably, it could be anywhere from like two to 10 people who have uh, been treating them a certain way, right? Especially if it's from a family, you know, just coming from a family. So they've got all of that. They've offloaded you with their venom. And guess what? You don't just have that person's venom. You have all those different 10 people stuff, that junk coming in your soul, right? And that's going to make you feel some kind of way. 
I'm not here to sugarcoat it and I'm not here uh, to sugarcoat it or make it worse than what it is. I'm just here to give truth and not play around with it, right? Dealing with 10 or 12 other people's junk that you no longer had in your soul is going to make you feel angry possibly, right? And feel in some kind of way. But this can all be what? Taken care of with boundaries, right? And sometimes people come and ambush you like the viper snakes. They come and ambush you and you don't have time to prepare for that, right? And you left with trying to deal with that. A lot of times it's things that we could avoid. It's not always an ambush. It's a situation we could have avoided had we set up boundaries, right? And so then what happened is that this venom that we get bit with, right? When they bite us, <laughs> this venom is infused. It's composed of so many different things. Number one, you got a Holy Spirit box that I call it. And that Holy Spirit box is saying, this is the only way that, that God moves. Okay. So you got that. Then you've got false doctrine. Then you've got twisted theology. Then you got that limited worldview that we just talked about. Then you got toxic roots from that person's family love story garden. And then every other critic in that person's life, all of their junk. You've got all of that coming in, right? Then you've got racism, sexism, uh, implicit bias, confirmation bias. And all of this is rooted in toxic jealousy, right? Somebody telling somebody else, they think they all of that. And so when you end up getting that infused into your bloodline after getting bit, then all of a sudden you're going to have those other people's what? The stuff that's going on in their souls. And remember, the souls is composed of what? The mind, will, and emotions. And this will be after you've done a lot of your work. No one wants anybody else's junk, right? But this is what happens when we don't set up boundaries, right? And this comes through the bloodline of the families. You can get it through jobs. You can get it through churches, right? And then if they attack you, that's going to lead for you and meaning they're going to ambush you like a viper snake. You're going to end up having this freeze trauma response where you're overwhelmed with emotions and not knowing where it comes from. It's going to be from all of that junk that, that person has dumped onto you from themselves and everybody else that's treated them a certain way, right? Uncontrollable crying, having intrusive thoughts that's not your own, wanting to do things and thinking about things that's even not, have never even been in your mind. That comes from that other person's, the work that they have not tackled themselves, right? And so this can involve setting boundaries. And this might be limiting access that they have to you. Understanding what common denominators that you guys are talking about that's triggering their wounds, right? And that's taking place in the conversations. And so then after a while, they might even ask you, oh, well, why don't you want to talk about this? And it's like, well, this is obviously a problem. Every time we talk about it, this is where we're at. And so I'm not going, we're not driving down that street anymore. We can only talk about this, this, and this. Sometimes that's what it looks like, right? But it's up for you, up to you to decide what boundaries you have to put in, in, into place, right? So it's like, you know, if every time we're going to talk about this, it's going to end up with you throwing up on me and I've got everybody else's junk and yours, I'd rather not talk about it, right? Finding a common denominator, what's causing it, right? What is causing them to go there? And we want to bite you. And sometimes it's releasing a relationship. Sometimes it has to go that deep. If every time you talk about a certain thing, that person goes into rage, 
Obviously, that kind of whatever topic that is, that, that needs to be let go. <laughs> As Teddy Pendergrass said, think I better let it go, right? It's the, the topic is off the table for discussion. Maybe you can revisit it later. If that person take care of their undealt with brokenness, unresolved trauma, it's not like it's going to be a lifetime thing, but sometimes it is. You know, we're not going to go around in judgment as to whether somebody um, decides to take on healing and growing and at the same time keep putting yourself in harm's way is not good either, right? And so, like I said, the time might come, the time may never come, but that's excusing the behavior. That means we want the unclean spirits to come right on in and they ready to have a party. I promise you that anytime they are ready to have a party because they love places that have been cleaned out and they figure you a great source of supply to be cleaned out, right? And this is whether that person is narcissistic or not because any of us can be toxic when we have not taken care of our own resolved trauma. We can either, any of us can end up being a viper and infusing it in someone else unknowingly. And forbid if it's a self-righteous cerebral narcissist, they are already vipers. Jesus and John the Baptist called them a brood of vipers because sadly that was who they were. That was locked into their operating system. However, we become toxic when we don't take care of our own unresolved trauma, we blow it into somebody else. As Grasma, the one trauma therapist says, and I can't remember his last name. I think it starts with an M. But he wrote the book, as I mentioned before, My Grandmother's Hands. But we end up blowing this trauma into other people, and they don't want that. We don't want it on us, and they don't want it on them, right? And it's like, if you picture this, each person having a garden, right? And each of us having a watering can for that garden. And over watering, some plants and flowers can actually be just as bad is them not getting sufficient the sufficient amount of water and sunlight and all that that they need. Overwatering can be just as bad, right? Because when you overwater, the next thing you know, you're like, oh, even with rain boots or whatever kind of garden boots you have on, you're looking down and you're like, ooh, now I got to track all this mud back in the house. I shouldn't have put that much water on there. So think about it like that when it comes to unclean spirits. Everybody's got their own watering can. They're like, Somebody comes up and like, oh, you need more water on your flower. And you're like, no, no, thank you. I'm good. But they take that can and they pour all the water on you anyway. And you didn't want it, nor did you need it. So next, guess what? You're going to be tracking mud right back on into your house. And that house is going to be your mind, body, soul, and spirit that now needs to what? You need to remove all of that residue of mud and clean your shoes off inside, so to speak, right? And so I just want you to remember that you are enough reclaim your power soul and identity and then i want you to reclaim the power soul and identity of your calling i want you to grab the keys to the kingdom and to get your inheritance so if you tune in tomorrow we will do part two of what the seven reasons unclean spirits keep returning to your soul be blessed. Again, my name is Katina Horton, the Love and Freedom Toxic Relationship Recovery Coach. Until next time, I love you. There was a guy They call him the Father There was a
For me 